Today on Exposed, we've already looked at part one of Tucker's wonderful interview with Putin. Today, we're going to try to cover the balance of this interview. Fantastic interview, some great insight into the mind of Putin. So in our last show, we covered the first part of Tucker's interview with Putin. And today we're going to endeavor to complete the balance of this interview so that we can get a better picture of the truth about Russia, the truth about Putin, and the powers that are really trying to bring about a one-world government. Because for me, I know here in America, we're beginning to see that there is things happening behind the scenes. And all of it is to bring America to a place where we are actually, well, a whole lot weaker than we should be. Because we should be and remain the number one government in the world. Pardon my ignorance, what is denazification? What would that mean? What is that mean? That is what I want to talk about right now. It is a very important issue. Denazification. After gaining independence, Ukraine began to search, as some Western analysts say, its identity. And it came up with nothing better than to build this identity upon some false heroes who collaborated with Hitler. I have already said that in the early 19th century, when the theorists of independence and sovereignty of Ukraine appeared, they assumed that an independent Ukraine should have very good relations with Russia. But due to the historical development, those territories were part of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, Poland, where Ukrainians were persecuted and treated quite brutally as well as were subject to cruel behavior. There were also attempts to destroy their identity. All this remained in the memory of the people. When World War II broke out, part of this extremely nationalist elite collaborated with Hitler, believing that he would bring them freedom. The German troops, even the SS troops, made Hitler's collaborators do the dirtiest work of exterminating the Polish and Jewish population. Hence this brutal massacre of the Polish and Jewish population, as well as the Russian population too. This was led by the persons who are well known, Bandera, Shukevich, it was those people who were made national heroes, that is the problem. And we are constantly told that nationalism and neo-Nazism exist in other countries as well. Yes, they are seedlings, but we approve them, and other countries fight against them. But Ukraine is not the case. These people have been made into national heroes in Ukraine. Monuments to those people have been erected. They are displayed on flags. Their names are shouted by crowds that walk with torches, as it was in Nazi Germany. 
Они на флагах. These were people who exterminated Poles, Jews, and Russians. Это люди, которые уничтожали поляков, евреев и русских. It is necessary to stop this practice and prevent the dissemination of this concept. I say that Ukrainians are part of the one Russian people. They say, no, we are a separate people. Okay, fine. If they consider themselves a separate people, they have the right to do so. But not on the basis of Nazism, the Nazi ideology. Probably the most important point for me out of this entire interview, two hours plus, that Tucker spent with Putin, was this video, this section that I clipped out. <clears throat> Putin goes on to explain how that after World War II, there were many people who still wanted to carry forth the, not, the idea of Nazism. And for him to bring it up, for Putin to bring it up, okay, it wasn't Carlton. I, I know we opened the video with this clip with him asking the question of what is denazification. And that's because Putin brought it up uh, that this was something that the Russians felt close uh, close to their heart, actually. Uh, they wanted to destroy the neo-Nazi movement. W what is it that they're always calling Trump here in America? <laughs> they're, they're always trying to label him as a Nazi. They're always trying to enable him something. You have to understand what's happening here. Russia is actually, Putin is actually stating very clearly that Ukraine and the Ukrainian government really wants to go down the pathway of Nazism and the Nazi ideology. Now, now that should spark something in your mind right now and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. How could that possibly be? Why are we supporting this? Why are we supporting Ukraine? <laughs> That's right. Why are we supporting Ukraine? Well, we know it's about the money. Do we really care about their ideals for Nazification? Mm, I don't think we do. That should strike fear in your heart. It, it, it does in mine. Uh, he was telling the truth because he mentioned somebody by the name of Bandera. B-A-N-D-E-R-A. -E Bandera, one of the leaders of Ukraine and Ukrainian movement basically to become separatists from uh, Russia. Although many Ukrainians do speak Russian, uh, they consider themselves to be Ukrainians. A lot of the reason behind that and why the Ukrainians were cheering on people like uh, Bandera and this other man, Shekovich, what the reason why they do it is because that is the direction in which they're looking to go. They're looking basically for a socialist society. And the neo-Nazi movement was basically looking to provide for their people in such a way that the people really didn't have to do very much and the government would provide. Sound a lot like America? <laughs> We got a whole generation of people that are looking for the government to basically provide for them. So there's a lot here, okay? And our media is trying to paint the picture as if Trump is a Nazi when in actuality it's our government and our leaders, starting with Obama and continue with Biden, with you know, oh Biden, yeah, you know, oh Biden, uh, continue with Biden uh, in order to facilitate the possibility of a Nazi movement. In Ukraine? <laughs> Amazing. Let's go to this next clip. Here it is. You just asked a question about neo-Nazism and denazification. Look, 
The president of Ukraine visited Canada. This story is well known, but being silenced in the Western countries. The Canadian parliament introduced a man who, as the speaker of the parliament said, fought against the Russians during the World War II. Well, who fought against the Russians during the World War II? Hitler and his accomplices. It turned out that this man served in the SS troops. He personally killed Russians, Poles and Jews. The SS troops consisted of Ukrainian nationalists who did this dirty work. The president of Ukraine stood up with the entire parliament of Canada and applauded this man. How can this be imagined? The president of Ukraine himself, by the way, is a Jew by nationality. Do you understand what Putin just said there? He gave us a history lesson that many of us maybe have not. And I didn't catch this either because I do remember when it happened. Uh, the president of Ukraine visited Canada. And the story is well known. But many of us didn't catch it because we didn't go deeper and really listen to what was being said that day when he addressed uh, the Canadian parliament. But Hitler and his accomplice, accomplices are the ones that really were people who committed atrocities, killing Jews, killing Poles, and killing Russians. And one of the leaders of that movement was the president of Ukraine. He goes to Canada and the parliament claps for him. Now, the guy himself is Jewish by nationality. And it's almost mind-boggling to me that here in the West, we didn't catch this. We didn't, we didn't realize what is actually happening in Ukraine. See, although it's about the money, yes, there's absolutely no doubt about it. But there are other elements at work here to, if you will, tear down America. Hitler's been dead for 80 years. Nazi Germany no longer exists. And so, true. And so... I think what you're saying is you want to extinguish or at least control Ukrainian nationalism, but how? How do you do that? You say Hitler has been dead for so many years, 80 years, but his example lives on. People who exterminated Jews, Russians and Poles are alive. And the president, the current president of today's Ukraine, applauds him in the Canadian parliament gives a standing ovation. Can we say that we have completely uprooted this ideology if what we see is happening today? That is what denazification is in our understanding. We have to get rid of those people who maintain this concept and support this practice and try to preserve it. That is what denazification is. So there's the picture of what happened at the parliament that day when this man who was an accomplice uh, to Hitler uh, involved in the SS, uh, one of the people who actually was responsible for the death of many uh, Polish people, uh, many Ukrainians, many Russians, many Jews. And yet what happens is the head of Ukraine, the president of Ukraine, stands first and then gets the rest of parliament to stand to applaud this criminal. And we don't call it out. We don't call it out for what it is. Of course, Hitler's been dead for over 80 years. That's absolutely the truth. He no longer exists. But what Putin is saying here actually rings to my heart true 
that he doesn't want this ideology to live on. Why would he care if he's just interested in world control or world domination? Why would he care? Hey, you want to do Nazi stuff? Go ahead, do Nazi stuff. He's going to control the world. No, 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 no. There is a deeper subject here. Maybe most of us don't realize, but, uh, you know, Russia, actually, uh, a good part of Russia, very, very religious. Uh, orthodoxy, very, very religious. We're going to get into that in a second, but let's go to this next clip. Um, will there be talks, and why haven't there been talks, about resolving the conflict in Ukraine? Peace talks. They have been. They reached a very high stage of coordination of positions in a complex process, but still they were almost finalized. But after we withdrew our troops from Kiev, as I have already said, the other side threw away all these agreements and obeyed the instructions of Western countries. European countries and the United States to fight Russia to the bitter end. Moreover, the President of Ukraine has legislated a ban on negotiating with Russia. He signed a decree forbidding everyone to negotiate with Russia. But how are we going to negotiate if he forbade himself and everyone to do this? We know that he is putting forward some ideas about this settlement. But in order to agree on something, we need to have a dialogue. Is that not right? Well, but you wouldn't be speaking to the Ukrainian president, you'd be speaking to the American president. When was the last time you spoke to Joe Biden? I cannot remember when I talked to him. I do not remember. We can look it up. You don't remember? No. Why? Do I have to remember everything? I have my own things to do. We have domestic political affairs. Well, he's funding the war that you're fighting, so I would think that would be memorable. Well, yes, he funds, but I talked to him before the special military operation, of course. And I said to him then, by the way, I will not go into details, I never do, but I said to him then, I believe that you are making a huge mistake of historic proportions by supporting everything that is happening there, in Ukraine, <coughs> by pushing Russia away. I told him, told him repeatedly, by the way. I think that would be correct if I stop here. What did he say? Ask him, please. It is easier for you, you are a citizen of the United States. Go and ask him. It is not appropriate for me to comment on our conversation. He's still a politician at heart, let's face it. He was avoiding, you know, coming to that question about when he talked to Biden last. Uh, but mentioning that he did talk to him before uh, they decided to respond and go into Ukraine um, is important here. Um, Putin makes it very clear that negotiations were always open and on the table. But now we have a Ukrainian president who issued uh, basically an order which said that no one will negotiate with Russia. So all negotiations have to go through the United States. This is why Trump says... You know, give me a couple of days or one day, whatever he said. Give me a couple of days and the war in Ukraine will be done. And I believe that. Why? Because Putin wants to come to an agreement. And let me tell you, all it takes is really one party that really wants to make it happen. And then you have the mediator in the United States putting, be able to be, being able to put pressure on Ukraine, which we can. How? By withholding funds, you get both people to the table, you come to an agreement. It can happen. 
So again, this makes me wonder, why would we not do that? Why would we just be wanting to send more money to Ukraine and basically accelerate this war, uh, exacerbate the situation instead of looking to calm the situation? We hear people like Never Nikki. She's always talking about, oh, we got we to gotta stop Russia at all costs. There's more to this than we're being told. And it's not just about the money. Yeah, it's about the money, but it's not just about that. It's about painting the United States as the great savior against Russia, the great evil. Oh, wasn't it like Russia that was supposedly that made the dossier and along with somebody else against Trump? See, the truth about all this stuff will eventually come out. They want to undermine the United States to be able to take us down a notch in the world political affairs to be able to bring about a one world order. From the outside, it seems like this could devolve or evolve into something that brings the entire world into conflict and could um, initiate some, a nuclear launch. And so why don't you just call Biden and say, let's work this out? What's there to work out? It's very simple. I repeat, we have contacts through various agencies. I will tell you what we are saying on this matter and what we are conveying to the US leadership. If you really want to stop fighting, you need to stop supplying weapons. It will be over within a few weeks. That's it. If you stop supplying weapons, it'll be over in a couple of weeks. Okay, now again, I'm not taking everything he says, uh, you know, 100%. But there's someone willing to make peace. He wants to get this to an end. He's trying to convey to the United States to stop funding the war. Why do you think they're pressuring so much right now our Congress and Senate to be able to keep sending money to Ukraine? All the pressure using the border, using all these other issues to keep getting money. Why? Because Ukraine is running out of money. And if they run out of money and Russia realizes that the United States is not going to you know, be the intermediary to try to stop this war, Russia will go in and take it. They'll go in and do whatever it is they need to do to do it. This can end, and I believe Trump 100%. If we stop supplying weapons, believe me, this war will come to a negotiated peaceful end where both sides, it'll be a win-win. Uh, Tucker goes on and he asks, he says, do you think NATO is worried about this becoming a global war or a nuclear conflict? Um, even Putin recognizes that, yeah, that's what the world is talking about. Uh, but it's really all about intimidation. See, Putin is basically saying, no one wants a nuclear war. That's an imaginary. Uh, it's, a, it's an imaginary Russian threat. Because everyone knows perfectly well that it's fake. See, Russia does not want a nuclear war because they know it would be the end of them as well. One of the things about nuclear deterrent is when both sides have equal power, it is the deterrent in itself right there. Let's go to this next clip. They're trying to fuel the Russian threat. The threat I think you're referring to is a Russian invasion of Poland, Latvia, expansionist behavior. Is... Can you imagine a scenario where you sent Russian troops to Poland? 
Only in one case, if Poland attacks Russia. Why? Because we have no interest in Poland, Latvia or anywhere else. Why would we do that? We simply don't have any interest. It's just threat-mongering. Well, the argument, I know you know this, is that, well, he invaded Ukraine, he has territorial aims across the continent, and you're saying unequivocally you don't. It is absolutely out of the question. You just don't have to be any kind of analyst. It goes against common sense to get involved in some kind of a global war. And a global war will bring all humanity to the brink of destruction. It's obvious. There are certainly means of deterrence. They have been scaring everyone with us all along. Tomorrow Russia will use tactical nuclear weapons. Tomorrow Russia will use that. No, the day after tomorrow. So what? In order to extort additional money from US taxpayers and European taxpayers in the confrontation with Russia in the Ukrainian theater of war. The goal is to weaken Russia as much as possible. There it is, black and white. And I know it came from Putin's mouth, but it makes sense. In answer to the threat of nuclear war, um, he says straight out, absolutely not. And, and by the way, there's no hesitation there between Tucker's question and the answer. He's listening to the interpretation, naturally. Uh, Putin does not uh, really understand English all that well. So he's listening to the interpretation. There was no delay there. His answer was immediate. You can hear the, the, you know, the, the um, interpreter uh, asking the question. And as soon as it's over, he says, absolutely. It's completely out of the question. Uh, you don't have to be some kind of analyst to be able to figure it out. It goes against common sense to get involved in some kind of global war. And a global war will bring all humanity to the brink of destruction. It's obvious, he says. There, there it is. Does it sound like a guy who is like uh, unafraid to have or instigate or create global war? I mean, if he was, if he was really interested, he'd say, well, hey, yeah, we'll do it. We're going to do it. We're being told that that's who he is. But that's not really who he is. Then he goes on to say this. It's all done in order to extort additional money from U.S. taxpayers. European taxpayers and American taxpayers. That's all about. This is what the war is all about. So confronting Russia, making Russia the bad guy. And again, I'm not saying Putin is like the greatest guy on the planet, that he's the wonderful humanitarian. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that there is truth in here about the United States um, causing a war in order to be able to funnel money through Ukraine back to our, you know, um, corporations, companies around America that make armaments, who in, the, who in turn pay some of our retired um, government officials like Never Nikki. And they end up getting rich. So it is a machine to funnel money back and forth. One of uh, our senior United States senators from the state of New York, Chuck Schumer, said yesterday, I believe, that we have to continue to fund the Ukrainian effort or U.S. soldiers, citizens could wind up fighting there. How do you assess that?
This is a provocation, and a cheap provocation at that. I do not understand why American soldiers should fight in Ukraine. There are mercenaries from the United States there. The bigger number of mercenaries comes from Poland, with mercenaries from the United States in second place and mercenaries from Georgia in third place. Well, if somebody has the desire to send regular troops, that would certainly bring humanity to the brink of very serious global conflict. This is obvious. Do the United States need this? What for? Thousands of miles away from your national territory. Don't you have anything better to do? You have issues on the border, issues with migration, issues with the national debt, more than 33 trillion dollars. You have nothing better to do, so you should fight in Ukraine? Wouldn't it be better to negotiate with Russia? Make an agreement, already understanding the situation that is developing today, realizing that Russia will fight for its interests to the end? And realizing this, actually return to common sense, start respecting our country and its interests, and look for certain solutions. It seems to me that this is much smarter and more rational. Now let's face it, doesn't that make a little bit of sense there? Now he did mention, you know, Russia and Russia's interests. He said partially what his interests were to stop the denazification of Ukraine. Um, he said partially that, you know, he doesn't want NATO um, in Ukraine. So, I mean, we understand some of what he's looking for. Um, but as far as United States um, sending military there to be able to fight, he's saying already, look, there are uh, Polish mercenaries. Uh, there are mercenaries there from Georgia. Uh, and there are mercenaries there from the United States. So we already have mercenaries are basically privately hired um, gunslingers, if you will you know, ex-military, whatever, who go and fight on behalf of a particular country or regime or whatever it might be. And so we already know that we have people there fighting on behalf of uh, the Ukrainian uh, president and, of course, his goals, which we don't really know what his goals are, except to amass a whole lot of money, which he has already seemed to have done. Um, but Putin makes it very clear. He says, don't you guys have enough problems on your plate instead of being able to fund a war over here thousands of miles away when you have $33 trillion in debt? you got a border crisis going on. Look, he's intelligent. I don't, I don't think Biden could have carried on a conversation with him like this. It's obvious. Uh, but he knows what's happening here in America. And he makes some very good points. Why, why is our Congress and Senate, why are they so focused on Ukraine and, and allowing uh, things like our, our own border to be infiltrated by, you know, young men, for the most part, from all around the world, fighting age men. Uh, why are we allowing immigration? Um, well, we call them immigrants, but we know they're illegals coming into all of our major cities uh, to be able to, you know, what, put more pressure on United States citizens like you and I put more pressure on cities that can't already afford it so that our government has to give them more money to be able to take care of those people. And it just becomes a bigger and bigger problem. Don't we have other issues to do other than Ukraine? Of course we do. He makes pretty good sense right there. Again, I'm not saying all his intentions are pure. I'm not saying that we have to listen and do what he says. But there is a way to come to the table. And more and more, this makes me recognize Trump is the man for the day. And the left don't want Trump there 
purposely because they know all of what they've done will be exposed. Now, I don't know if Trump will actually expose them. I think he's gotten a little smarter politically, uh, but stopping the funnel, stopping the money, and uh, that will expose some of these things. And let's face it, it's being exposed now. Tucker just going there to do this interview is exposing some of the truth of what's happening. Who blew up Nord Stream? <laughs> you for sure. I was busy that day. <laughs> Nate, it, do you have, do you have, <laughs> uh, I did not blow up Nord Stream. Uh, thank you, though. You personally may have an alibi, but the CIA has no such alibi. Do, do you have evidence that NATO or the CIA did it? You know, I won't get into details, but people always say in such cases, look for someone who is interested. But in this case, we should not only look for someone who is interested, but also for someone who has capabilities. Because there may be many people interested, but not all of them are capable of sinking to the bottom of the Baltic Sea and carrying out this explosion. These two components should be connected. Who is interested and who is capable of doing it? But I'm confused. I mean, that's the biggest act of industrial terrorism ever. And it's the largest emission of CO2 in, in history. Okay, so if you had evidence, and presumably given your security services, your intel services, you would, that NATO, the US, CIA, the West did this, why wouldn't you present it and win a propaganda victory? <laughs> in the war of propaganda, it is very difficult to defeat the United States because the United States controls all the world's media and many European media. The ultimate beneficiary of the biggest European media are American financial institutions. Don't you know that? So it is possible to get involved in this work, but it is cost prohibitive, so to speak. We can simply shine the spotlight on our sources of information and we will not achieve results. It is clear to the whole world what happened, and even American analysts talk about it directly. It's true. Yes, I, but, but here's a question you may be able to answer. You worked in Germany, famously. Um, the Germans clearly know that their NATO partner did this, but they, and it damaged their economy greatly, it may never recover. Why are they being silent about it? That's very confusing to me. Why wouldn't the Germans say something about it? This also confuses me. But today's German leadership is guided by the interests of the collective West rather than its national interests. Otherwise, it is difficult to explain the logic of their action or inaction. Of course, it's difficult to explain the logic. Uh, we're talking about the blowing up of the Nord Stream pipeline. And I, I love the initial banter there. Um, you know, uh, Tucker saying he was busy that day. And But the, the interesting thing there is uh, Putin didn't hold back. You know, you, you blew it up. I mean, meaning the United States. And, and then he goes on to explain. It. He goes, you know, you have to look to see who has interests and who has the ability. Who can go to the bottom of the Baltic Sea and blow up a pipeline? Who has that ability? Well, he basically is saying, really, only the United States has that ability. And we know that, of course. And Germany knew that, of course. But Germany won't say a word. 
<laughs> Tucker asked him the question about, you know, well, listen, if you know that and you have the proof of that, you know, why don't you just come out? Because it was, you know, the largest amount of CO2 emitted in the atmosphere and all of that. And you'd be a hero, you know, to the environmentalists. And he said, the truth, again, United States controls the media, not just in America, but even in most of Europe. <laughs> the United States controls the media. Listen, folks, um, this guy is speaking some truth here. And we have to just admit it as Americans um, that maybe um, Russia and maybe Putin even himself is not as evil as we've painted him to be. And uh, that might be hard for some of us to swallow because even myself over the years, um, I fell for some of the rhetoric of uh, the news media. Uh, but without realizing that, uh, yes, there is evil, and let's face it, in America there's evil, uh, but what's the... What's the overall? What's what's the agenda? And of course, the agenda here, as you can tell, you know, when we laugh, we we laugh for something. It, it wasn't man, a manufactured laugh. When he he laughed at Tucker, asking, you know, why don't you do this? And you know, if the Germans knew, you know, what happened, and that the United States blew up the pipeline, why didn't they, you know, say something about it? And, and he he chuckled because, and, and he closed with these words. He said. Today's German leadership is guided by the interests of the collective West rather than national interests. Does that make you think at all like it does me? If Germany, okay, supposedly one of the strongest nations there in Europe, if Germany and their leadership is actually more concerned about the whole of Germany than it is about Germany itself, isn't it possible that, well, leadership in the United States could be more concerned about other places in the world other than the United States. In other words, willing to put us last <laughs> instead of first. Why do you think America first bothers the left so much? Why do you think talking about America first, just those words alone, they have called racist, Nazi, all kinds of propaganda, just because you want America to be first? Because they don't want America to be first. Germany doesn't want Germany to be first. Germany's leadership. They don't want Germany to be first in Europe. Why? One world order. It's all leading to that place of the one world order. The U.S. dollar, which has kind of united the world uh, in a lot of ways, maybe not to your advantage, but certainly to ours. <laughs> Is that going away as the reserve currency, the, the, common, the universally accepted currency? How have sanctions, do you think, changed the dollar's place in the world. You know, to use the dollar as a tool of foreign policy struggle is one of the biggest strategic mistakes made by the US political leadership. The dollar is the cornerstone of the United States power. I think everyone understands very well that no matter how many dollars are printed, they are quickly dispersed all over the world. Inflation in the United States is minimal. It's about 3 or 3.4 percent, which is, I think, totally acceptable for the US. But they won't stop printing. What does the debt of 33 trillion dollars tell us about? It is about the emission. 
политическое руководство приняло решение использовать доллар в качестве инструмента политической борьбы. Nevertheless, it is the main weapon used by the United States to preserve its power across the world. As soon as the political leadership decided to use the US dollar as a tool of political struggle, a blow was dealt to this American power. I would not like to use any strong language, but it is a stupid thing to do and a grave mistake. Look at what is going on in the world. Even the United States allies are now downsizing their dollar reserves. Seeing this, everyone starts looking for ways to protect themselves. But the fact that the United States applies restrictive measures to certain countries, such as placing restrictions on transactions, freezing assets, etc., causes great concern and sends a signal to the whole world. What did we have here? Until 2022, about 80% of Russian foreign trade transactions were made in US dollars and euros. US dollars accounted for approximately 50% of our transactions with third countries, while currently it is down to 13%. It wasn't us who banned the use of the US dollar. We had no such intention. It was decision of the United States to restrict our transactions in US dollars. I think it is complete foolishness from the point of view of the interests of the United States itself and its taxpayers, as it damages the US economy, undermines the power of the United States across the world. By the way, our transactions in Yuan accounted for about 3%. Today, 34% of our transactions are made in rubles and about as much, a little over 34% in Yuan. Why did the United States do this? My only guess is self-conceit. They probably thought it would lead to full collapse, but nothing collapsed. Moreover, other countries, including oil producers, are thinking of and already accepting payments for oil in yuan. Do you even realize what is going on or not? Does anyone in the United States realize this? What are you doing? You are cutting yourself off. All experts say this. Ask any intelligent and thinking person in the United States what the dollar means for the US. You are killing it with your own hands. I, I'm lost for words. Uh, and I've heard that three or four times. I mean, I've gone through this over and over again. He says, we're killing the US dollar with our own hands. He admitted that the United States, uh, the dollar, is the cornerstone uh, of the United States' power. And then he goes on to say that he, it doesn't make sense as to why the United States would use the power of its own dollar against itself by limiting transactions like with Russia in U.S. dollars, causing them to have to now use yuan and rubles uh, for exchanges around the world instead of the U.S. dollar. So basically... Uh, what we're talking about here is um, the de-dollarization around the world that's happening. Looking to take the dollar as the world reserve currency and move it out of that position 
which would basically cause the U.S. economy. It, it wouldn't happen overnight, but it would begin the downslide of the U.S. economy, really overall collapse. And, and that's already happening. We've done some other shows on BRICS and some of these other countries that are joining in BRICS and that they're all beginning to use other currencies other than the, the U.S. dollar. So Putin is speaking here with great knowledge. Uh, it doesn't matter how long he studied for this interview. I can tell you this. Biden couldn't have did it if he had a teleprompter in front of him, okay? This guy knows what he's talking about. He had numbers and statistics off the top of his head. He has no notes. Tucker has one page there with some questions. Uh, Putin has no notes. So what we're... What we should take away from this is, um, is he trying to scare us? How can he scare us? He's giving us facts that are real in numbers as to what is happening to the United States dollar around the world. And even he says, it's crazy. In fact, he, he closed with those same words. What are you doing? You're cutting yourself off. Even experts, financial experts around the world say the same thing. And yes, they do. They're saying that. You've described uh, the connection between Russia and Ukraine. You've described Russia itself a couple of times as orthodox. That's central to your understanding of Russia. You said you're orthodox. What does that mean in, for you? You're a Christian leader by your own description. So what effect does that have on you? Uh, you know... As I already mentioned in 988, Prince Vladimir himself was baptized following the example of his grandmother, Princess Olga, and then he baptized his squad, and then gradually over the course of several years he baptized all the Rus. It was a lengthy process, from pagans to Christians. It took many years. But in the end, this orthodoxy, Eastern Christianity, deeply rooted itself in the consciousness of the Russian people. As for religion in general, you know, it's not about external manifestations. It's not about going to church every day or banging your head on the floor. It is in the heart. And our culture is so human-oriented. Dostoevsky, who was very well known in the West and the genius of Russian culture, Russian literature, spoke a lot about this, about the Russian soul. After all, Western society is more pragmatic. Russian people think more about the eternal, about moral values. I don't know, maybe you won't agree with me, but Western culture is more pragmatic after all. I'm not saying this is bad. It makes it possible for today's golden billion to achieve good success in production, even in science and so on. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that we kind of look the same. But our well, so, minds so are do you see the different. supernatural at work as you look out across what's happening in the world now? Do you see God at work? Do you ever think to yourself, these are forces that are not human? No, to be honest, I don't think so. My opinion is that the development of the world community is in accordance with inherent laws, and those laws are what they are. 
It's always been this way in the history of mankind. For me personally, probably the most significant part of the interview was this. That's why I'm ending with this. And it, it really is the end of his interview. Anyhow, uh, Tucker brings up Christianity and what it means to him personally. He goes into the history and, uh, and you know, talking about how uh, in 988, Prince Vladimir herself was baptized and then Princess Olga and then their squad. And it took many years uh, to be able to convert them from pagans to Christians and how Eastern Christianity, Eastern Orthodoxy kind of swept through Russia. And then he says a very significant statement here. He says, uh, after all, um, Western society is very pragmatic. Russian people think more about the eternal or about moral values. I, I'm like, <laughs> you're from Russia. You're, you're the president of Russia. You're talking about moral values. Shouldn't we be talking about moral values? Shouldn't the United States be talking about moral values? Are we expressing moral values to the world around us? Or are we expressing warmongering, hatred, anger? What are we expressing as a nation, as a country? Um, Western, cultural, Western culture, he says, is much more pragmatic after all. And he, he again, this was not, by listening to him, you come away with, he was really speaking what he believes. Okay, this was not a rehearsed speech. This was not something that he, you know, thought about before. I don't believe he even understood that this question was coming. He answered this question according to what he believes. And there it was in black and white. And in the end, again, it, it, it draws a distinction between uh, Eastern uh, uh, Orthodoxy and, uh, you know, Western uh, Christianity. Uh, significant differences, although here in, in the West, in the United States, uh, we have many mainline traditional churches, many mainline traditional uh, Christian uh, denominations. And of those, uh, most of them would have probably answered this question the same way. Tucker says, so do you see the supernatural at work, uh, you know, out in the world right now? Uh, do you see God at work? And, and his answer was no. To be honest, I don't. And uh, I, did, I, I, I would have expected that answer from someone who claims Christianity, uh, wears the sign or a cross. He doesn't have a cross on. But, you know, here in Western culture, people wear a cross, and that means they're a Christian. Um, that happens a lot today. People are Christian because they go into a building on Sundays or whenever. And uh, because their grandfather, great-great-grandfather, grandmother, sisters, aunts, and uncles all were baptized, uh, that they somehow are now Christians. But he makes it very clear uh, he doesn't believe God is at work. He doesn't see the supernatural at work. And uh, that saddens me as a Christian. But from a very realistic point of view, I could tell he was telling the truth. And I applaud him for that. He doesn't see it at work. But I do. And many of us do. We see the supernatural at work, both good and bad. We see evil and we see good at work. Right now in our administration, uh, and it saddens me to be able to say that we have an administration that is actually working more on the behalf of evil than it is of good. But uh, the one, uh, idea of a one world government, the idea of the world coming under a one world system, uh, scripturally speaking, we know will eventually one day happen. Uh, that will happen. Talks about it in the book of Revelation. And uh, that is not a good thing when it does happen, but it will happen. But does that mean we just give in and kind of say, okay, let's let it happen now? Um, no, as Christians, we're supposed to fight the good fight of faith. And I, I bring all this up because 
um, I, I think that as truth is exposed, as we here on the show try to expose truth, uh, we need to look at it um, realistically uh, from both sides. And what is America doing to benefit America? What is America doing to benefit the world? And right now, unfortunately, it seems like America is more interested in the world as a whole than it is in America itself and the American taxpayer. <laughs> and we're the ones that foot the bill. So uh, th this, you're going to hear a lot about this in the coming days, about this interview that Tucker did, uh, fall out from it. And you're going to hear a lot of us people like-minded talking about the benefits of this, um, exposing the media, exposing the left and their agenda. And, and I say, again, this all leads to only one direction, at least right now, uh, the upcoming election in 2024. What are we going to do? Well, we got to change. <laughs> we got to do something to change what's happening. And the only way that happens is, well, we got to bring in an, an outsider, you know, before all this election stuff started, I really liked uh, Nikki Haley for years that she was in the Trump's administration. But then near the end, there were some things that she did and started to combat and come against Trump. And I, at that point, began to turn my direction uh, against her instead of for her, uh, realizing that, you know, she had some other plans. And sure enough, those plans are exposed readily today to us, uh, any one of us that are following her campaign. Here she's still in, knowing she's uh, 28 to 30-some points down in her own home state. But yes, she's going to keep staying in the race. It tells me something. It tells me the left are grasping at straws. And they themselves would, would even vote for a Republican in name. Um, kind of like you know John McCain or whoever. They would vote for someone like that over Trump because... These people are insiders. They're part of the same system. They may wear the label of Republican, Christian. They may wear the label, but doesn't mean that they are. So I hope this sheds some light, as it did for us, on where we're headed as a nation. What are we going to do? Well, let's get ready. Let's tell the world. Let's tell our family. Let's tell our friends. Get ready to vote and let's encourage them to vote for change this coming November. My name is Mike Kahlo. This is Exposed, the Kahlo podcast. God bless you, and God bless the United States of America.